Assalamu alaikum dear brothers and sisters and welcome to another episode of the Tafsir Treasures podcast. A podcast where we delve into the verses of the Quran to connect with the book of Allah, the greatest miracle of our beloved Prophet. I hope that you enjoy and benefit from the content inshallah and like always, please let us know about any feedback regarding this episode. Having said that, let's delve straight into the Tafsir inshallah. That when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Fala bima wa ma la I'm going to swear by those things that you can see and those things that you cannot see. We mentioned that the Quran every now and then kind of gives us an idea that there are creatures that we don't see, there are creatures that we don't even know about. If they were to ask us what type of creatures exist out there in the world, we might say, well, the human being is there, the angels are there, the jinn are there, and the animals. And that should be pretty much it for us. Maybe the plants, you can add them. And that's pretty much it for us. The reality is that we don't know what type of creatures there are out there. We don't know. The reality is we don't even know what's happening in this universe. And then the Quran is saying, فَلَا أُقْسِمُ بِمَا تُبْصِرُونَ وَمَا لَا تُبْصِرُونَ Those things that you can see, and those things that you cannot see, meaning that there are a bunch of creatures that you and I may not even be able to see. And we touched on this last week a little bit, that the reality is, forget about the immaterial world, the material world, we still have not explored fully. We still have not discovered every corner of it. We still have not been, quote-unquote, to the edge of the universe. Yes, we have not explored this universe. Why? Because it's so big We are just like, you know, the human being is just like a baby. It's just growing up now to even become aware of this universe that it finds around itself. Now slowly we are sending these spaceships and whatnot to go to this planet and that planet. Yes, you might say, well, we're, we're making our way towards Mars. Yes, we're making our ways towards Mars. But Mars is, you know, one of the closest to us. What about the thousands of galaxies that are out there? that we may not ever come close to seeing. We only know they're there because we get their light, we receive the light from them maybe uh, millions of years later. Maybe after they have already exploded and imploded, we receive their light, yes? Maybe we can tell they're moving further away and the universe is expanding, but that's all we can tell because we're so far away and this universe is so vast. And this is what we find in Quran and Hadith. Every now and then Quran and Hadith will remind you and I that the creatures of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the servants of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala are more than you and I understand. And it might be the case that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't tell us about all of this because we might get so busy with these things, we might forget what's really important in our life. Or it might even be too overwhelming for the human being. But when you look at Quran and Hadith, they tell you that what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created, some of it you see, there's a lot of it you don't see. The angels, for example, the Quran says, Uli masna wa wa This is not an issue of fairy tales. The Quran is saying literally that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala creates of the angels those of them who have two wings, those of them who have three wings, those of them who have four wings. A two and a four wing is a little bit easier for us to picture. But what does a three-winged angel look like? Yes? And the Qur'an is not a book of, of fantasy to talk about, yes, you know, these angels are flying around. No, the Qur'an wants you to just 
understand how insignificant you are from a physical perspective and how significant you are from a spiritual perspective that he created all of this for you as many verses of the Quran say yes he is the one who created the heavens and the earth lakum as many verses of the Quran say there are creatures that we may not even be able to fully digest and understand Ali ibn Abi Talib in his famous first khutbah of Nahjul Balagha he says he says when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created the heavens and earth then he turned towards the heavens then he started to create all sorts of angels and he says some of these angels some of these angels all they do is sajda that's what they're doing all day and they never do ruku'un and some of them they are constantly in ruku' and they never stand up that's the only purpose they have and there are those who are always standing all worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and they never get tired so there are creatures out there that we don't even understand even the angels that we say we know what they are we don't understand what types there are because the verses of the Quran say Yazidu fil khalqa going back to the verse from the beginning of Surah Al-Fatir this is the first verse from Surah Al-Fatir Yazidu fil khalqi ma yasha he has angels who have two rings two wings three wings four wings Yazidu fil khalqi ma yasha and then he creates anything else that he wishes what does that mean that means there can be hundreds of other types out there that we don't even know about so quran and hadith every now and then will remind you listen there are things that you don't even see you don't even know about we talked about this the black holes that we find in in in, in this world yes we don't even know what's going on inside of them you can't shed light on them because they will absorb the light that you shed on them yes they're dark inside what's going on inside of them we don't know even the material world we don't know and then the quran and hadith is telling us that the immaterial world also we have not explored we we don't know what's out there okay moving on from this now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to switch the theme a little bit these next three or four verses are going to be a bit surprising for us in the sense that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to speak to the prophet with a tone that we are not very familiar with usually he doesn't speak to the prophet with this tone Usually Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks to the Prophet with a very kind tone. A tone where he is trying to put him at ease. Where he is trying to remind him that he is there, there to support him. Yes, many times you'll find in the verses of the Qur'an, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is giving emotional support to the Prophet. Yes, Yes, we have not forgotten about you. At the end of the surah, we will give to you until you are pleased, Ya Rasulullah. Yes, don't, don't be worried when they come and say this to you. Don't be worried when they come and say that to you. Right? Be patient with what they say. This is usually the tone that we find in the verses of the Quran. But now, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, in these, in these next three or four verses, is going to use a tone with the Prophet that is amongst the harshest tones that you will come across when it comes to the Prophet. And we'll explain why the Qur'an and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is using this harsh tone with the Prophet. Take a look at what these verses say. This is verses 44 through 47. 
if this prophet of ours were to take certain things and make them up, if he were to take certain things that we've never said and attribute them to us, in other words, if he were to make up his own message, if he were to say, this is what God revealed to me, when in fact it wasn't what God revealed to him, if he were to alter our message, okay, take a look at what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says. He says, if he were to do this, وَلَوْ تَقَوَّلَ عَلَيْنَا بَعْدَ الْأَقَوِيلِ لَأَخَذْنَا مِنْهُ بِالْيَمِينِ We would grab him with our right hand, meaning with strength, with power. We're going to grab him. Okay, what are you going to do? ثُمَّ لَقَطَعْنَا مِنْهُ الْوَتِينِ Then we would cut the vein in his heart. What does this mean? And we'll explain why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is being harsh in this manner. Pay attention to what, what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is trying to say. We would cut the vein in his heart. فَمَا مِنْكُمْ مِنْ أَحَدٍ عَنْهُ حَاجِزِينَ And none of you would be able to stop us. He's the prophet. There are people who are willing to give his life for him. All this kind of stuff. If he goes the wrong way, if he changes the message, if he alters the message, we are going to hold him accountable. And he will be punished the same way if anyone else were to do this, were to be punished. Except his punishment is going to be much more severe. And you might be thinking, this is the prophet we're talking about. This is the one you talk about. You're supposed to be kind towards him. You're supposed to be nice towards him. Yes? And yes, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is kind towards the Prophet. But only if he doesn't make these big sins. What are these big sins? Why is it that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is so sensitive when it comes to these verses? Why is his tone so harsh in these verses? Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is very, very sensitive when it comes to two things in particular. One thing is haqqun nas. One thing is the rights of other people. That's one thing. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is very serious about. The second is the one who has shortcomings when it comes to the religion, but not the shortcomings where he has shortcomings in terms of his own duties. That's one thing. Most of us would fall under that category. No, the type of shortcomings where this person starts to change the religion. This person starts to alter the religion. This person misguides other people because of his own opinions about the religion. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is very sensitive about this. The message has to be sent down purely to the people. You find this a bit harsh tone as well, where in those verses of the Quran that we believe were revealed regarding the incident or the event of Ghadir. In those verses, what do we read? Ya yuhar rasul, ballig ma unzila ilayka min rabbik. O Prophet of ours, deliver the message wa in lam tafa'al. And if you don't do it, فَمَا بَلَّغْتَ رِسَالَتَهُ You have not delivered the message of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You see this harsh tone again. Why? Because it's about delivering the message of the religion. If the Prophet doesn't deliver this message, this religion is going to be incomplete. Yes? That's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is so harsh. And of course, when we say he's harsh with the Prophet, it doesn't mean he's actually harsh with the Prophet. He's saying if he were to do this, and he's using this word, of course, lau. Lau is an if that will never happen. Yes? In Arabic, they have a word for an if that will never happen. In English, when we use the word if, sometimes it's something that might happen, sometimes it's something that will never happen. Yes? But in Arabic, when they say lau, that means this will never happen. But if it were to happen, this is what this person would be worthy of, this type of punishment. 
So it's not that he's being harsh with the Prophet. He's just explaining what the punishment of this deed is, even though the Prophet would never do such a thing. But you find Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is very sensitive about this. That if someone takes my message and changes it and alters it, I'm going to have a serious problem with him. If it's my Prophet, because he is the one that we expect the most out of, his punishment is going to be greater than anybody else. Now let's take this out of the context of the Prophet. We understand that the Qur'an is saying if the Prophet were to do this, we would hold him accountable. But let's take this out of the context of the Prophet and apply it to ourselves. Does this verse or these verses that we're going through, 44 through 47, do they apply to us as well? And the answer is a big yes. There are many times, brothers and sisters, where we also take the message of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and we alter it. And this is very scary. There is a huge difference between the one who receives the message of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He doesn't try to change it, doesn't try to alter it. And when he's applying it in his life, he has some shortcomings. Yes, he knows he's supposed to pray. He doesn't deny the duty of praying. But even though he, knew, he knows he has this duty, he has shortcomings. He might miss his prayer sometimes. Okay? He knows he's supposed to fast, but sometimes he has shortcomings. And he admits to it. He says, you know what? I know I'm supposed to fast, but you know, sometimes shaitan gets the best of me. He knows or she knows that there's a specific dress code in Islam. But he says, you know what? Shaitan gets the best of me sometimes. Yes? He knows he's supposed to lower his gaze, but shaitan gets the best of him. These, this is one category. There's a big difference between this person who admits to the religion, accepts the religion, and then he admits to his shortcomings. And the one who, because he has shortcomings, he, does, he wants to change the religion altogether. He wants to come and say, no, no, this praying, it's not too important in Islam. This fasting, it's not too important in Islam. Dress code, it's not important in Islam. And we hear this, we've, we've heard this before, brothers and sisters, this idea of separating Islam from the day-to-day -day rulings that it has. Separating the spirituality of Islam from the day-to-day -day halal and haram that we have. It's something that has been there during the time of the Prophet, during the time of the Imams, all the way until today. This has been a movement that has always been there. That you will always find those who will want to separate these two from one another. And in essence, what they do is that they are changing the religion of Islam. They are altering the religion of Islam. Because Islam is here to say that these certain deeds that you commit on a daily basis, they have an effect in your spirituality. And this person says, no, there's no effect. They have no effect on your relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This goes against the message of Islam. It's not what Islam said. So you are fundamentally changing Islam. You're coming up with your own version of Islam. And this is something that is very scary. It is very dangerous. There's a big difference between the one who says, I understand that Islam expects certain things of me, but I have shortcomings and I admit to these shortcomings. This person is very close to the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this person who says, no, these things aren't important in Islam. Whether you pray or you don't pray, God doesn't care if you bow down to him five days or not, five times a day or not. Well, then why did he ask you to do that? Why does the Quran tell us, salat? He doesn't care whether you fast or not. As long as overall you're a good pure person and your heart is pure, then why does he command us to fast? 
He doesn't care what type of dress code you have, how you dress. As long as you're a good person deep down inside, then why did the Ahlul Bayt dress in the way that they dressed? Why did they speak and say that if the one doesn't dress properly, then we're not happy with him, we're not pleased with him or her? Why then did they spend time on these rulings then? There is a fundamental difference between these two groups. And if I'm in the first group, there's room for mercy. But if I'm in the second group, it's a much more dangerous situation. Because now I'm coming up with my own version. And you'll find this very, very often today. That you will find those who have their own version of Islam. And then they will say, yes, what, how you dress and what you wear is separate from your relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Well, not if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself has said that is important to the relationship that I have with you. Yes, whether you fast or you pray is separate from your relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Not if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself has said that plays a role in your relationship. If he himself has said that, then now you're altering this religion. You're changing this religion and this is a very dangerous thing. And this is not something that started today. To many of us, it might look like it's something that has started today. No. This is something that was there during the time of the imams in different ways. There were those, for example, who were known as the people of Ghulaw. There were people who were Ghali. Yes, they were extremists in this sense. That they would follow the path of spirituality in Islam so much that they would separate the spirituality in Islam from the day-to-day -day rulings, from the halal and haram. And they would reach a point that they would say, you know what, if you believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and you believe in the imam of your time, yes, and you have built your spirituality, these day-to-day -day rulings, praying, fasting, dress code, how you make your money, tahara, nijasa, the type of food you eat, these things are not important anymore. And you find the Ahlul Bayt reacted very harshly to them. And the companions of the Prophet and the Ahlul Bayt also reacted very harshly to them. In the Shia school of thought, amongst those things that the companions were always wary of was does this person try to separate spirituality from the day-to-day -day rulings? In Islam, these two are connected with one another. Yes, it is not to say that if I miss out on one ruling, all of a sudden I'm an evil person. No, that's not what we're saying either. But they affect one another. It's not the case in Islam that Islam only worries about your hearts. Are you a good person deep down? That's part of Islam. It's an important part of Islam. But Islam wants to make you a complete human being. The praying is part of it. The fasting is part of it. The dress code is part of it. Yes, the one who doesn't have the proper dress code, particularly in prayer, ask the ruling of the maraja. The maraja will say this prayer is invalid. This prayer is not accepted. One of the conditions is that they have to be covered in prayer. Yes? Outside of prayer, the same ruling applies. Many of us think that when it comes to dress code, there's a difference between inside of prayer or outside of prayer. Yes, but at least as it relates to uh, the sisters, no, it's the same dress code. It's the same exact thing. The brother might say, well, whether I look at this thing or I don't look at this thing, whether I listen to this music or I don't listen to this music, this is not going to affect my relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. No, it does. Because if he has considered a certain type of music haram, that means it's going to hurt your relationship with him. In Islam, spirituality and the day-to-day -day rulings goes hand in hand. The one, going back to the verses of the Qur'an, the one who tries to change this formula, the one who says, just be spiritual, you don't have to follow all of these guidelines, 
he is altering the message of the Ahlul Bayt. There is one question, I've mentioned this before, and you'll hear this from me many more times. The one question that you can always ask to a person who makes this claim, who says, you know, as long as your heart is pure, you're fine. The rest of it doesn't really matter. These, these halal and haram, what your marja' says doesn't really matter. The one question that comes to mind is this, is that if these guidelines were not important in my relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, why did Imam al-Baqir and Imam al-Sadiq and Imam al-Rida and Imam Ali ibn Abi Talib and the Prophet, why did they spend so much time explaining these rulings? Why do we have these rulings in our hadith if they were not important? Why did Imam Sadiq take time to answer questions of his companions? How do I make this thing tahir? Can I eat this food or can I not eat this food? Is this the type of dress code that I'm supposed to have? Is this the type of praying that is valid or not? Can I pray in a different language or do I have to pray in Arabic? Why did our Ahlul Bayt spend so much time explaining all of these rulings and guidelines? If they weren't important, Imam Sadiq didn't have anything better to do in his life that we have thousands of ahadith about these detailed rulings of Islam from him? No, it's because it mattered. It's because it's important. Again, this is not to say that these replace the moral values we have in Islam. Moral values have their place. These detailed rulings also have their place as well. We're not to raise our children. We talked about this before. We're not to raise our children with the idea that yes, as a Muslim, all Islam wants from you is to be a good person. No, you don't need Islam for that. You can be Christian and be a good person. You can be an atheist and be a good person. Islam wants you to be a good person and has also told you in a detailed manner how you are supposed to go about it with your financial duties, with your najasa tahara, with your prayer, your fasting, your dress code, your lowering your gaze, the last one, the lowering your, uh, your gaze, I, I should probably repeat, you know, a number of times because that's an issue that our, you know, our, our young brothers, uh, you know, they struggle with. These are all part of Islam as well. So if the Quran is taking this harsh approach, I have to learn that if the message is presented to me, I shouldn't try to change it. No, if I have a shortcoming, I should say this, I have a shortcoming. I know I'm supposed to pray, but... Shaitan gets the best of me and I have to work on perfecting it. Yes? So when the Quran tells the Prophet such a serious uh, uh, tone, this is why. And this is why we find in many verses of the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَمَنْ أَظْلَمُ مِمَّنْ إِفْتَرَى عَلَى اللَّهِ كَذِبًا Who does the most injustice to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala than the one who attributes lies to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? You might say, well, I never attribute lies to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I never said, you know, God says this or God says that. Yes, not in that manner. But in this manner, a lot of times you will find it. Yes? Where we make claims about the religion that are not true. Yes, this doesn't matter in Islam. You don't have to worry about it. Go do as you like. This isn't important. No, we don't have the right to make those claims. If something is haram, it's important to stay away from it. If something is wajib, it is important to... Make sure that you do it. Otherwise, Ahlul Bayt would have not called it halal or haram or wajib. When they call it that, it means it's important. We have to be careful to accept the message and then try to practice it to the best of our ability instead of trying to change it. God forbid I try to change it, then 
I am amongst those who is attributing lies. Indirectly, I'm attributing lies to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because when I say that, what I'm saying is, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala never asked you to pray, never asked me to fast, He never asked me to observe a certain dress code, right? He never asked me to do this or that. I am attributing lies. This is why this sin is amongst the very uh, small amount of sins that actually break your fast. Yes, the lies that one attributes to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or to the Ahlul Bayt as well. So this is why the Qur'an is, is so harsh when it comes to this. Now moving on from this. Now that we understand that this Qur'an is untouched, it is unaltered, if this prophet of ours were to touch anything, we would have responded to him in this harsh manner. Therefore, this Qur'an is preserved. Now, of course, we don't believe the Qur'an is preserved simply because the Qur'an says it's preserved. Okay, this is something we have done a very bad job of explaining to our younger generation. See, the Qur'an is, is a miracle. Why? Because the Qur'an says it's a miracle. Now, there's reasons why the Qur'an is considered a miracle. Yes, we've touched on these, some of these before. The cohesiveness of the Qur'an is one of the biggest reasons. Yes, this is not a normal book. There are reasons why the Qur'an is a miracle. But the context that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is speaking in here is for those who already know this. That's why he's not going through the proofs right now. The Qur'an has already put a challenge out there. That if you can come up with a surah like mine, go ahead and do that. If you can come up with 10 verses, go ahead and do that. And that challenge is a challenge that has been there since the beginning of the time of, of the Prophet and it continues to be there today. And there has been no response for it. So there are other reasons why the Qur'an is a miracle. But the Qur'an now is speaking in the context of those who already know it. Okay, because this Prophet is such that he, if he were to change anything, if he were to alter anything in this Qur'an, we would have punished him in this manner. إِنَّهُ لَتَذْكِرَةٌ لِلْمُتَّقِينَ it is therefore a divine message. It's a reminder for the muttaqeen. It's a reminder for those who fear God. Wait a second. We're saying that the Qur'an is a messenger, is, is a reminder for the good people. I thought the Qur'an is, is, is a book you're supposed to recite upon the bad people. And the bad people are drawn towards the right path. It's saying, it is a reminder for those who fear God already. I thought the Qur'an is a miracle. You're supposed to recite it and people become good in nature. People all of a sudden change their lives. That's not how the Qur'an works. The first step always has to come from that human being himself. He has to be willing to choose this path. Then once he chooses this path, yes, Qur'an is going to be a guidance for him. Hudan lil muttaqin. But if he doesn't choose this path himself, the Qur'an, as beautiful as it is, as divine as it is, as much of a miracle as it is, at times it can have the opposite result, the opposite effect. And the Qur'an says this. The Qur'an says, and this is in um, Surah Al- uh, I can't remember, I unfortunately haven't put in the notes here which surah this is exactly. Apparently it is Surah Anfal, if I'm not mistaken. وَإِذَا مَا أُنزِلَتْ سُورَةٌ فَمِنْهُمْ مَنْ يَقُولُ When we send down a new surah of the Qur'an, there are some of them who say, أَيُّكُمْ زَادَتُ هَذِهِ إِيمَانًا Those who are disbelievers, but they have knowingly disbelieved. When the verses of the Qur'an come down, they don't feel any divine feeling. No, they look at it, they say, did this surah add to the faith of any of yours? They might even mock the Qur'an. 
Yes? You say, this didn't do anything. This was nothing special. Ayyukum zadathu hadihi imana. But those who are on the right path, they've, they've taken the first step. Then when the verse of the Qur'an comes down, فَزَادَتْهُمْ إِيمَانًا وَهُمْ يَسْتَبْشِرُونَ When they hear the verses of the Qur'an, it has a different effect on them. For them, it adds to their faith, وَهُمْ يَسْتَبْشِرُونَ Right? And they, they are happy, and they are energized, and they are excited by the verses of the Qur'an. But those who have sickness and illness in their hearts, it only adds to their evil. Why? Because now they are going to deny another message of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The first step comes from the human being. He has to take the first step. Then yes, the Quran will become a, a, a divine message for him. It will become a miracle for him. It will have that type of effect that we hope for. But if the human being himself fundamentally has decided not to open his heart to this, then you will find this person will look at the same surah that a believer will look at. The believer will look at it and say, my iman is increasing going through these verses. And the disbeliever will say, Ayyukum This is nothing special. This is not, I, 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 don't have, I don't care too much about these verses anyways. There's nothing special here. This is how the Quran works. The Quran says, "Inna Allah la yastahi an yadrib mathalan ma ba'udatan fama fawqaha." The Quran says, "We will use any type of analogies in our verses." Okay, so why is the Quran saying this? Then he adds this: "Fa'amma aladina amanu, those who are on the right path, fayalamuna annahu alhaqqu min Rabbihim." When they hear this analogy, they understand what's being said. The message is delivered to them properly. "Wa'amma aladina kafaru." But those who are disbelievers, they'll say, do you even understand what they're saying? Do you even understand what's being said? It doesn't even make sense to me. Why? Because this person has not even taken the first step. And that's why some scholars, uh, scholars of ours have this opinion, that the one who knowingly turns away from the message of the Qur'an he can, while he's in that state, he can, no, he can no longer even see how the Qur'an is a miracle. If you were to ask him, are these words true? Deep down, he would say, no, no, these are not true. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes him blind to the reality of the verses of the Qur'an. Until he takes that first step. Until he changes his path. When he changes his path, then he will see the reality. That's the opinion of some of our scholars. Some say, no. He continues to see the reality. He continues to see the Qur'an as divine message. But he knowingly turns away from it. He knowingly says, Ah, these are not important. This Qur'an, what is the Qur'an even talking about? What did he mean? And the Qur'an says, When a verse of the Qur'an is sent down, it guides many. It also misguides many. But not because of the verse. Because this person himself has turned away. When he has turned away first himself, then when the verses of the Qur'an are revealed to him, he also sees the verses of the Qur'an as something that don't make sense. doesn't understand. It doesn't touch his heart because he hasn't taken the first step towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, which is accepting the truths that are presented to him. Okay. So the Qur'an says, وَإِنَّهُ لَتَذْكِرَةٌ لِلْمُتَّقِينَ It's a reminder for those who fear God. Because that's the first step. 
This is why we read in the beginning of Surah Al-Baqarah, yes, Hudan lil muttaqin. This book is a guidance for those who fear God. If he doesn't fear God, if he hasn't taken that first step, then this book carries no guidance for him. He won't benefit from these verses of the Quran. Okay, moving on. وَإِنَّا لَنَعْلَمُ أَنَّ مِنْكُمْ مُكَذِّبِينَ And we know that amongst you there will be those who will turn away from this message. وَإِنَّهُ لَحَسْرَةٌ عَلَى الْكَافِرِينَ وَإِنَّهُ لَحَقُّ الْيَقِينَ If they want to turn away from it, that's fine. They can turn away from it. But we can tell you one thing. وَإِنَّهُ لَحَسْرَةٌ عَلَى الْكَافِرِينَ Them turning away from this Qur'an, this Qur'an will become a means of regret for them. On the day of judgment, they will look at the same book and its teachings and say, I wish I had followed this. وَإِنَّهُ لَحَسْرَةٌ عَلَى الْكَافِرِينَ وَإِنَّهُ لَحَقُّ الْيَقِينَ It is the very core of truth, this Qur'an. You'll, you, you won't come across many books, brothers and sisters, in the world that will speak about themselves in this manner. Yes? There are many times where you have a book and others will come later on and praise it. Not many times will you find a book speak about itself in this manner. That this book is lahakul yaqeen. It is very the it is the, the very core of truth. Now haqqul yaqeen, what's the difference between haqqul yaqeen, aynul yaqeen that we find in other verses of the Quran? This is a discussion we'll leave for another time. But what we understand here from the verse is that the verse is saying, listen, what the Qur'an is saying is the very core and essence of truth. There's no falsehood in it. right? There's no batil in this. We're telling you exactly how things work in this world, the akhirah. And the one who doesn't believe in it, وَإِنَّهُ لَحَسْرَةٌ عَلَى الْكَافِرِينَ It will become a means of regret for him. So, Ya Rasulullah, now that you know all of this, you know that this message is real. You know that this message is divine. فَسَبِّحْ بِسْمِ رَبِّكَ الْعَظِيمِ Glorify your Lord. Don't listen to these people. Don't believe when they say this is all falsehood and fake. No. You stick to your path. You continue to glorify Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. فَسَبِّحْ بِسْمِ رَبِّكَ الْعَظِيمِ You continue to glorify Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this great Lord. Of yours. This is the end of Surah Al Haqqa. You will find many other surahs of the Quran, or at least some, they will end with verses very similar to this. That when it's all said and done, Ya Rasulullah, and as we explained, you know that these disbelievers, they know the truth and they're not believing in it. You, Ya Rasulullah, fasabbih bismi rabbika al-adim. You worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and you stick to this path. And this is what the verses of the Quran are saying here. To end, and this is something that we also have to hear from the verses of the Quran, because going through our life, living in the in the world that we live in today, there will be many who will turn away from this message. There will be many who won't care what the Quran has to say. There will be many who will live their life; they won't care to practice the religion. But you and I, if I know that this message is a divine message, if I'm not convinced on that, then I need to ask questions. But if I am convinced on that, then I need to stick to this path. فَاسْتَقِمْ كَمَا أُمِرْتَ Ya Rasulullah, you know the truth, so you stick to this path. You and I as well, there will be many who will deny the Qur'an. You and I, if we know the truth, then we have to stick to our path. And we can't allow other people who are turning away from this message. Whether it's in theory, this person says, I don't care about the Qur'an, I don't believe in the Qur'an. Or it's in practice. That in practice, he's not serious about practicing the religion. Either way, 
I can't let these people change my fate. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will ask me about my fate on the day of judgment. He will ask me about what I did. If I know this is the true path, then I have to stick to it and I have to be firm on this path. With that, inshallah, we'll bring tonight's talk to an end. Thank you, dear brothers and sisters, for tuning into another episode of the Tafsir Treasures podcast. I hope that this episode was another step for all of us to coming closer to having a deeper understanding of the Quran and the message of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If you would like to stay updated on the courses, the presentations, or the other podcasts that Mizan Institute is offering, you can always follow us on the major social media platforms on Facebook, on Instagram, or Twitter. Or you can always refer to Mizan Institute's website, which is mizaninstitute.org. Finally, if there is any feedback, feel free to leave a review for the podcast or you can always message us directly on any of these platforms so that we can benefit from your feedback for future projects, inshallah. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.